0: It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Incredible play! 35-yard touchdown! Alan Lazard. Six foot five frame. Needing every bit of it. Oh, Hartman's still going. Inside the 10. And he is in for the touchdown. Alan has time. Intercepted! Sauce, gardner has got it, breaking away, Garrett Wilson, Wilson a big play downfield, Wilson still going along the sideline, he's not going to go down, Allen,
1: tripped up, he could not get past Jermaine Johnson, oh look
0: at the speed of Brees Hall, he's done it again, Brees lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown, and he's sacked again by Clinton Williams, what a beast, number 95 for the Jets, listen. Thank you.
1: This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeJet1, and it's time for the Weekend Mailbag. So for that, we bring back our friend who is the editor over at JetNation.com and the co-host at Jet Nation Radio, Mr. Glenn Naughton. Glenn, what's up, brother?
0: Not a whole lot, Scott. How we doing, man?
1: It's an interesting time in Jetland, which is something that I feel like I've been saying for the last few weeks as we wait and see what happens with the quarterback position. Everybody has got their eyes and ears on what happens at QB for the Jets. And we're not just talking about Jets fans. We're talking about people all across the league and, of course, especially in the AFC East. Very interesting to see how this plays out, whether or not something gets done before the draft or whether it drags on until after the draft. And so that's where we're at right now as we dip into the mailbag to answer some questions. And we will start with Big Daddy19002. He asks, Who will be the number 3 receiver Week 5 after Odell Beckham Jr. is out for the year and Corey Davis has been traded to Green Bay? Will it be Denzel Mims? (laughs) Well, first of all, we should say the Jets have not signed Odell Beckham yet. They still may, but if the price is what's being reported, which is $15 million a year, I don't expect Joe Douglas to come anywhere close to that. The closest I could see him coming is maybe he would give him something in the neighborhood of 8 nine million with incentives that could go up a few million dollars after that. Like if he has a 1,000 yards in a season, if he plays X number of games, if he has X number of touchdowns, maybe he could earn a few extra bucks. But I can't see the Jets paying him anywhere near that kind of money. But yes, obviously, he has injury issues. And even if Corey Davis was here, he's had injury issues. Mecole Hardman has had injury issues because otherwise – The obvious answer would be Nicole Hardman would be the third receiver. If you're looking for who the other receiver will be, it could be somebody they get in the draft. They could end up getting somebody who's already in the mix to be bumped up from the practice squad. Somebody like Calvin Jackson, who we talked about last year, if you'll recall. You could look at somebody who might be cut after June 1st, somebody who hits that waiver wire. I don't think it's going to be Mims, to be honest with you, Glenn. I would be fairly surprised if Denzel Mims makes this roster. I think they're going to want that fifth receiver to be somebody that can play special teams. I could be wrong, but that's sort of where I'm at with it. I would expect the Jets to probably either release Mims or try and trade him for some late conditional pick. I don't think it's likely that he's going to be here, and I certainly don't think it's likely that he would be the number three receiver at any point. So if the scenario that you're talking about plays out, I think at that point, they'll have somebody else on the roster. But obviously, if he's healthy, it would be me, Hardman.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one interesting thing about uh, Beckham that I just saw a few minutes ago, someone posted on our, on our forums, um, Pat Kerwin, um, what, I don't know, what do they call their show? Moving, the, No, that's Daniel Jeremiah. Whatever, they have a show on SiriusXM, um, and they were talking about the Odell thing. And uh, Kerwin Kerwin seems to be pretty you know on the money. Well, it's been years since I've listened because they don't have – they don't have XM over here, but he um, he said the most he would go on Beckham is four million, which surprised me because I, I kind of I said yesterday I, I would think you give him somewhere around eight and uh, and then with some incentive he can make more than that I think fifteen is ludicrous um, given the number of games he's missed over the last few years given the number of injuries he's had over the last few years um, you know he's now thirty years old coming off of, uh, an entire season off due to injury um, and missed time in the seasons prior to that so fifteen would shock me. Eight to ten wouldn't. Less than that would be great. But uh, I agree with you. I think I think the best hope for Denzel Mims right now is to make it to camp with a shot to make the roster. And as you said, I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't. I I think, I think if he shows more improvement, um, you know, he's, he's got to hold on to the damn ball. I think. Listen, Joe Douglas used the two on him, so he's got a shot to hang around if he if he plays well enough. But I would think that that number three spot, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if, if we're talking like slot number three. You know, do they take a guy in the draft? You know, do you take a guy like like Tank Dell or Demario Douglas? You know, the, the smaller, shiftier guys who are just explosive and can make plays. Um, you know, you remember Joe Douglas after drafting uh, Reese Hall last year and, you know, in the war room saying, you know, playmakers, playmakers, baby. And I think that's what they want on this offense. And, you know, somebody like Dell fits that mold. Um, yeah, you know, listen, it could be a practice squad guy. We don't know who they're going to go into camp with, who's going to make the roster. But I would say for sure. If Beckham comes on board, um, I wouldn't bank on it being Mims because he's again, he, he's uh, I think he's hanging on by a thread at this point.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Tommy Griffin Krantz. He says, gentlemen, since it is WrestleMania weekend, what is your favorite WrestleMania match of all time? Mine is Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10. That's a really good choice. Glenn, I know you're not a big wrestling fan, but I know you did watch in the past. So I'll turn it over to you in a second in case you do have a favorite WrestleMania match. There are so many really great WrestleMania matches. That same WrestleMania that you talked about, Tommy, WrestleMania 10, that Bret Hart versus Owen Hart match was fantastic. Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, the 60-minute Iron Man match. That's sort of been a divisive match. Some people really loved it. Some people didn't like it that much. WrestleMania three, Ricky Steamboat and Randy Macho Man Savage, a lot of people would call that the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. I think if I was pressed, I would probably go with Steve Austin versus Bret Hart from WrestleMania 13. It was so well done, and that double turn at the end was perfect. It set up incredible business for WWE down the line because Bret Hart went from babyface to heel. Steve Austin went from heel to babyface. That set up the Bret Hart heel run that eventually paved the way for the Mr. McMahon character. And Steve Austin becoming a babyface led to his rise. And eventually the Steve Austin-Vince McMahon clash, which became the greatest rivalry in the history of professional wrestling, or at least the one that drew the most money. Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle was a great one as well. Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair wasn't necessarily as good of a match, but the story told there was incredible. I was at the Skydome in Toronto for Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. From a technical standpoint, certainly nowhere near a lot of these other matches, but the electricity in that building... The emotion, the crowd, it was unbelievable. still, to this day, one of the most amazing live event experiences I've ever had. So, a lot of different answers here, but if pressed, I guess I would probably go with Steve Austin versus Bret Hart from WrestleMania 13. And a personal favorite, just because I was there, Hulk Hogan versus The Rock, WrestleMania 18, Sky Dome in Toronto. Glenn, as I said, I know you're not a big wrestling fan, but you have watched in the past. Any WrestleMania matches that stick out in your mind that you remember watching and liking?
0: Yeah, very funny timing of this question because um, because as I messaged you the other day I'm I'm starting to, you know, get my son to watch a little bit of wrestling. He's 9 years old. Um so he's right in that wheelhouse where, you know, he's he's, he's really enjoying it. I only really I, you know, I go to YouTube, I look up the old matches because those are the guys I know. Um, you know, like of course everyone knows who like John Cena, like there's a few mainstream guys today I know, but you know, maybe three or four just cuz, you know, Twitter or whatever social media. But um yeah, you mentioned it. And I and I, I actually Tried to find it the other day and was thinking about it again just today, a few hours ago. I was telling him about what an incredible match that you just mentioned, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Randy Macho Man Savage. Mm-hmm. I was trying to tell him how incredible it was. It just kept flipping back and forth like this guy's winning, that guy's winning, this guy. And they, it was just a masterful performance. Um, and in looking for it the other day, um, you know, checking YouTube for that match, I couldn't find it, but I saw, you know, there was like a, they did a special on it. I forget one of the, you know, history discovery, somebody did a thing on it. And like, I'm watching this interview with Ricky, the dragon steamboat, who was one of my favorites. And he's, he's walking through the way Savage came to him and said, you know, here's how we're going to plan out this match. And he like hand wrote something like 400 moves that Savage scripted. And I like the hair on my neck was standing up. I was like, this is amazing. Like hearing the making of this match that I remember that WrestleMania. like that, that it wasn't the main event, but that's the match everybody was talking about the next day. It was unbelievable. So that, that's an easy one. I think the last WrestleMania I watched was probably six when I was about 14, 13. But, um, but yeah, Savage Steamboat, funny timing for that question because I haven't talked about or watched wrestling in decades. And just a few days ago, I was trying to find that match for my son.
1: Glenn, it's funny you mentioned the Savage Steamboat dynamic with Savage scripting pretty much the entire match. He was known to do that. He was very meticulous about things. Very different dynamic when Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair used to wrestle. There's a famous story when they were feuding in 1989. Many would call it one of the greatest feuds of all time. And in the middle of the feud, when Ricky Steamboat was champ, he had beaten Flair. And then later on, he lost the belt back to Flair. But in the middle, they had a two out of three falls match that ended up going an hour at Clash of Champions on TBS. And the entire preparation for the match beforehand was Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat saw each other in the hallway flair said to him okay first fall will end like this second fall will end like this third fall will end like this see you out there and they improved the entire one hour match other than how the falls would go in the ring All of it, all 60 minutes. Incredible talent to be able to improv something like that. And it's funny because I remember reading in Ted DiBiase's book that Sylvester Stallone, when a bunch of the wrestlers, including Terry Funk, were in one of his movies, called all the actors out and said, you should pay attention to these guys because they're some of the greatest improv actors In the entire world And it's true Now granted Glenn It is a little bit different now Because it's more scripted In terms of the ring stuff The agents and everybody plan things out more But back then especially Now granted Savage and Steamboat Not the same But back then These guys used to call Pretty much everything in the ring Which is amazing to me It's incredible
0: Yeah I I think uh, when I was a kid You know when I watched I Obviously I knew it was I knew it was fake But I thought it was It was I thought every move Was scripted for every match Since it was fake but then at some point I realized the number of times, and I'm sure you noticed this too, Scott, as a kid, the number of times like a guy would be whipping somebody into the ropes and he'd whisper something in the guy's ear as he was whipping him past. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are they like planning the moves as they go along? Because mm-hmm. they're talking like while they're supposed to be fighting. And if you look closely enough, you can see them communicating. And I think that's what I realized: like, oh wow, maybe they do just improv and, and make it up as they go. And obviously that was happening with some guys.
1: Yep, without question. And later today, Glenn, will be day number one of WrestleMania, which is now a two-day extravaganza. They're going to make it
0: like the draft's going be three days. <laughs> yes, exactly. Talk about bad luck real quick with the draft. Like I said, I'm, I'm letting my son watch. It, and I thought, you know what, let me let me go on, on uh, StubHub and see if there's any WWE events coming out of England anytime soon. And there's apparently a pretty big event coming to uh, London at the O2 Arena, which is a pretty, pretty big place. And I thought, oh, I'm going to buy some tickets and go, you know, bring them to this. I won't know who the wrestlers are, but it will be a good time. And I go to start to buy the tickets, and I realize it's on draft night. <laughs> I
1: was like, oh, never mind.
0: <laughs> never mind. That'll be another time.
1: Yeah, actually, Stephen Wright's going to be in town the day of the draft. So I've been looking to see Stephen Wright for a while, but I guess that's going to have to wait as well because we're going to be having our eyes and ears glued to everything involving the draft those couple of days. going to be really exciting, and I'm sure we're going to get more questions about it later in the mailbag. Next question, it's actually a series of questions from our buddy John Grella. First question, do you believe that Aaron Rodgers borrowing number 12 from Joe Namath is a bad idea? Listen, Joe Namath said it's okay with him. In fact, he encouraged Aaron Rodgers to wear it, said he wants to share the number, share the legacy. So if Aaron Rodgers wears it, I don't care. If it's good enough for Joe Namath, it's good enough for me. That said, now that Elijah Moore is gone, I think it's more likely that Aaron Rodgers wears number 8, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think... um... I think I think he wears, or I think people are, are worrying too much about what he wears. It's it's just funny to look back because I remember when Namath first said that, and I just laughed. I was like, "Why are we even having this conversation?" Aaron Rodgers is not going to be a Jet. I was like, "I appreciate the laugh, Joe, but come on, let's 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 you know come back to reality." You know, you know, we, we don't live in a world where Aaron Rodgers will ever be a Jet. Now that it looks like we're living in that world, um, I'm I'm actually curious because if you watch Rodgers, I was surprised. I watched him in that interview with Joe Rogan, and I forget the exact comment, but he made one or two comments that gave me the impression like, wow, this guy really does have a lot of respect for the history of the league. And I, I did wonder, not that I care if he wears it or not, if he wants to, fine, but I wonder if he's going to look at this and say, you know what, that's name, it's number, he, it's it's, it's retired for him, belongs to him, he deserves it, or if he'll just say, you know what, I'm, I'm on that guy's level and I want that damn number, so I'm going to wear it.
1: Could go either way I think it's more likely that he winds up wearing number 8 But we'll see And as I said, if Joe Namath is cool with it Then I don't see why anybody else should have a problem with it John also asks Gentlemen, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? I probably would
0: <laughs> You know, you're having a long day Maybe you skip lunch You know, a nibble, maybe Just to hold yourself over till a proper, you know, like a full meal But uh, definitely at some point there, There'd there be some some snacking <laughs>
1: Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard He says, what do you guys think the Jets plan will really be at quarterback two? Sal's track record for being honest is not the best That is definitely true, Peter To his credit, he did say right now Zach is number two So that doesn't mean necessarily that he's penciled in as the for sure number two What do you think is the real plan, and how much will his salary play into the decision? I've said all along, and Glenn, I think you agree with me, that Zach Wilson should not play at all in 2023. I think we discussed this before, that it's one Mm -hmm. thing if he's made significant progress, the Jets have clinched something, and there's a game that's not meaningful at the end, maybe week 18, he goes in there and plays almost like a glorified preseason game, fine, But if there's anything at stake, he can't be playing. And it's for his own good. That's really what it comes down to. It's for his own good. If you want any chance of this kid succeeding, he's going to need an entire year to be rebuilt under this new staff. He's going to need to be able to start from scratch, essentially. And so if he goes out there before he's ready, very well could put him in a position where there's no way he'll ever succeed. Look at what happened last year. I had said that Joe Flacco should have started over Zach Wilson when Mike White got hurt For this exact reason. And that's exactly how it played out. Things went so poorly for Zach Wilson. And now we're at a point where. The Jets couldn't even look their fans in the eye. And bluff them. About Zach Wilson possibly starting next year Which maybe they could have If he hadn't come back after the initial benching They could have said he's got a new coaching staff We're going to work with him mm-hmm. He'll compete with a veteran all that They couldn't even do that now Because he was so bad Got booted off the field on national television And bench for a CFL quarterback So it was so far beyond repair In the immediate time frame that they now had to promise the fans that they were going to go and get an established veteran. So you don't want to risk that happening. Think the best move is to make sure Wilson doesn't play in 2023. And how do you ensure that happens? You go out and get a backup who's reliable now. Maybe that ends up being Teddy Bridgewater, but he'd probably cost a little bit more money, maybe like $4 million. Then again, he hasn't been signed yet, so maybe if he lingers out there for a while, you grab him. Some seasoned veteran like Chase Daniel. Just anybody who might be able to step in for a game or two if he has to. Because in all reality... If the Jets get Aaron Rodgers or whoever else it is, if that starting quarterback gets hurt for the year, but you just want a guy that can get you by for a game or two if you need him to, and so there are guys that are options out there for that. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater or maybe a lower-cost option like a chase Daniel. And then we'll see some quarterbacks probably get released. It happens every year in training camp and after June 1st. So I think they'll bring in somebody. Ultimately, they have to know that putting Zach Wilson in a position where he might have to play where he's one hit away from having to go onto the field is a bad idea.
0: Yeah. I think uh, the, the solid comment actually worried me because my, my thought was the same as yours, you know, Zach's number two right now. Um, but he did, continuing and and he he followed that up with hang on a second i know the right now part is what the headline is going to be let me clarify zach is the number two and i was like that those are pretty i I know coaches lie i get that i say it all the time but that was like he kind of went out of his way to say no no this isn't a just for now thing he is the number two quarterback which i i couldn't imagine a bigger mistake for this team to make to to if, if if they were to stick with this to say you're going all in, which you are. By going out and getting Aaron Rodgers, you're going all in. Because, um, again, as we've discussed, Scott, this is very likely, possibly a little more, but very likely a one-year window. So it's not like this is a long-term plan. This is a we're going to try to win it this year plan. And if you have that plan, but then Zach Wilson is your backup, and I think we discussed this on a previous show, this is reminiscent of Parcells going with Vinny Testaverdi and Scott Zolak and having to trade for Rick Myra. Like you look back and went, you just flushed our playoff hopes down the toilet by having a, a non-NFL level quarterback as your quarterback too. And if you look at the market right now, Scott, you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater. Um, the fact that the Jets aren't moving on him worries me more because anyone can snap him up. And if he goes, that's it. Unless you want to get Carson Wentz or, or Matt Ryan who was washed or 38, 39-year-old Brian Hoyer who's never been very good like Bridgewater is so clearly the best option out there and the Jets haven't made a move on him. It, I'm starting to worry that Zach Wilson might be QB2, whereas, you know, you and I are in lockstep on this. He should not see the field unless it's week 17, 18, and the season is wrapped up. Um, but the words kind of match up with the actions, which is very worrying because, you know, as you said, you know, because people have said to me, You know why are we even talking about this? If Rodgers is hurt for the year, we're done anyway. Right? I agree with that. And as you said, maybe it's only a game or two. I agree with that. But what if it's somewhere in between? What if it's what if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt and you need a quarterback from week eleven through fifteen to win you two games to get into the playoffs? And it's Zach Wilson. And there's a very real chance you're going to go one and four or zero and five in that stretch, and have a you know a a sort of medium chunk of the season that can cost you the year because Zach Wilson is under center. I just I I want to say that I think they're bluffing but if they are bluffing they're doing a horrible job of planning for what the actual or a horrible job of acting on what the actual plan is. Glenn
1: Naughton, our friend who is the editor over at JetNation.com and also the co-host of Jet Nation Radio. Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. We're going to answer more of your questions tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure that you check out everything that Glenn is doing over at JetNation.com and Jet Nation Radio. Check out everything we've got going on at playlikeajet.com and the play like a jet YouTube channel. The Thunder from down under Luke Grant has some awesome all twenty-two videos. I talked about the Steve Avila review. He's got one of Broderick Jones and of course alan lazard the newest new york jets receiver those are all up on our youtube channel youtube.com slash play like a jet so watch our videos subscribe if you haven't already visit our store tpublic.com that's tee we've got the john franklin myers Quentin williams bless you thank you shirt the play like a jet logo shirt caps mugs hoodies it's all there tpublic.com that's tee and be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on itunes if you haven't done that already easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing it doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you can go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a
0: Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet dot